Greetings and welcome to Inside Baseball with Old Chestnut. I'm Liam Allen with Morris Sachs. Good afternoon, Morris. How you doing, pal? I'm great. How about yourself? Good. I, your choice of song, it's a little, uh, a little, a little quiet today. Okay. Um, well, we're skipping 13 uh, out of respect and superstition, so there'll be no episode 13. We're right to 14. Um, and you're in the driver's seat this week. Uh, what would you like to talk about? Well, um, I had thought about uh, talking about um, a couple of things. Uh, first was uh, luck, and then the next thing was this book called The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker. Okay. But... Uh, just when you think things can't get any stranger, you've seen the story about the the deli in New Jersey that's got a market cap of a hundred million dollars. Read myself to sleep to it last night. They got one heck of a pastrami sandwich, I'll bet you. Italian combos. Um, <laughs> how? Okay. All right. So. I don't know. I don't know either. Okay. All right. No comment. All right. So, so if you, if people want to Google it, you can Google New Jersey deli market value, a hundred million dollars. Is that, that'll, that'll get, that'll get you the story. I bet you all you need to do is type New Jersey deli. I totally agree. Um, and then that's, uh, I never know how to pronounce these things. Is it the dog coin or the Dodge doge doge? I uh, I watched okay. a YouTube video on how to pronounce it correctly so that I didn't embarrass myself. Well, yeah, I, Doge I, I coin. Embarrassed my, <laughs> I embarrassed myself because I was explaining it to Cheryl, and I said, I think it's called the dog coin. And she says, you mean Doge? Right. <laughs> so like, sure, yeah. I don't know. It's got a picture of a dog on it. <laughs> One would think. Right, right. One account apparently has 15 billion dollars as of the last market cap 15 billion one guy you want me to guess who oh you think it's uh uh-huh Mitchell, oh yeah gun to my head absolutely oh he's such yeah. a wacko um yeah, yeah. Well, so those are two him. so those actually, are t- actually i'd be glad if he's the one that has it um <laughs> <laughs> How would you feel if one of the guys on the ride had it? Um, oh, that, that would be bad. <laughs> there's statistically there's somebody that has it. Um, yeah, those are just two examples of insanity, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I. You know what? Um, they got me. Okay. 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 Uncle. You know, I just. Uh, there was all right. Since we're going through the news, all right. Since we're going through the news, can I ask you? Because I, I I'm too young to remember it when it happened. Um, but I spent a lot of time reading about it this week because he died. Is the oh. made the Madoff thing? Oh yeah, that's a pretty interesting story. Yeah. So well, you again had a front row seat to this unfold. Uh, you were active at the time when this mess happened. You know, yes. Um, Front row seat is was great. Last week we said front row seat, and I said I was in the ring. Mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. was much more of a front row seat. So one of the the main patsies um, of that Fairfield Greenwich group, uh, the guy lives about a mile, mile and a half from here. I'm not going to mention the name because I, mm-hmm, I I'd like mm-hmm. to I'd like to go out of this world without getting sued, but. Um, there were a number of uh, articles written about the family before 
because they were just so open and notorious about their consumption in, in Greenwich now. Yeah. And so it was a guy with five gorgeous daughters and, you know, they did all the right things. And, and, uh, anyway, he, like the whole firm, the Fairfield Greenwich thing was like the huge Patsy in the Madoff scam. Uh, so just to continue, continue on, uh, I didn't expect this question, so I'm just going to talk mm-hmm, extemporaneously, mm-hmm. if you don't mind. I please, please, by all means. Indulge, indulge me. But um, so a former colleague of mine who is a very blue blood uh, origin uh, was working there as a fundraiser. And he, uh, I remember when he went to work there um, talking about how how talented this guy was. Uh, and he was called like the treasury bill. That was wow. some of the nicknames the guy had for him because like he never lost money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I didn't hear anything about it until, because it was, the guy was supposed to be trading stocks and then options. Right. Um, so uh, it just kind of came out of nowhere. You know, it's, uh, it was a bear market. I think it was around the time uh, Bill Clinton uh, had a little fracas. And, Got it. Uh, I think those things were going on simultaneously. Not not just simultaneously, but at the same time. <laughs> right, right. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Understood. Yeah. I, okay. Chronologically. Uh, yeah. Yeah, in, yeah. 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 Got it. Yeah. Um, um, so uh, let's see what else I can tell you. So there was a gal, and I'm going to mention her name uh, because – uh, she was on TV talking about this, and her name is Noreen Harrington. Okay. Now, um, oddly enough, uh, I know Noreen Harrington. I, I haven't seen her in many years, but she is AAA. Like, if you're looking for, you know, tough, fair, honest, compassionate, yada, 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 this is, this is, this is the lady. So, I mean, I'm dating myself. I'm, I'm da- I was going to say I'm dating her. No, I'm not dating her. <laughs> uh, I'm, I met her in 1987. She was a saleswoman at Goldman Sachs. And that's, that's where I met her. Anyway, she has a very interesting story, her own career, which I'll, I'll leave that to you all to, to f- try and chase down if you want. But anyway, apparently, and and this is all pulling from the memory files, I think she went to work for maybe a family office with the guys who own the New York Mets. Yeah, the Wilpons. Yeah. I think so. And then, so she saw the Madoff stuff and she's like, NFW, there's no way this is right. This can't be right. This is Mm -hmm. BS. Mathematically impossible. Yeah. 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 Like a five standard deviation move. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I just want to be firm and tell you, I'm kind of pulling this out of my backside because it's been a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, And uh, I'm very cautious about misrepresenting stuff. And I'm sure knowing you, you'll check me. And and I, and I like that you do. Um, But I think, she ended up parting ways with that family office because there was a disagreement. Wow. I, I think that's how it went. Anyway, 
you know, she's very bright lady. And, sure, sure. Uh, and the one in a billion chance she hears this, I'd love to say hello to her. You're getting a note on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, from coast to coast. Um, and then there was that fellow uh, with the Greek name, and I can't remember his name, but he's the one that, like, for years, Her- Harry Markowitz? Harry? No. You're close. You're close. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, uh, he he wrote a, a good book about it, which, okay. which I read years ago, but he was going over and over and over and over and over things. So, um, it's interesting because, uh, oh, God, I hate that I'm going to do this. So, basically, Madoff was using an accounting firm that was like a two-guy accounting firm in a strip mall. Right? Okay, yeah. So they, yeah. Weren't, they weren't auditing. They were part of the scam. Or, yeah, rubber stamping. Or, yeah, or they were looking the other way, whatever. But sure. it was not a big time. And you're seeing more people talk about the fact that Tether, mm-hmm. there's a lot of questionable things in the financial statements there. And um, I don't remember whether I said this on the last podcast or whether it was in that diatribe I sent you when I went for a hike. But, you know, in auditing, um, if management wants to perpetrate a fraud, the auditors aren't going to, aren't likely to catch it. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I believe the name of the accounting firm that has audited Tether, I think it's called Moore Cayman. And they're in the Cayman Islands. Mm-hmm. And uh, once again, I make no representations here. You have to check your own facts. And uh, information is from sources believed to be reliable but cannot be guaranteed. Um, but, you know, it's a tiny accounting firm. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, wouldn't you rather have Price Waterhouse do your book? I'd have three. I'd have Price Waterhouse, Pete Marwick, Mitchell, Arthur, Arthur Anderson. Probably a bad example. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I would belt and suspenders on the thing, right? Because it's all all your integrity. Right, right. So, uh, speaking of integrity, yep. there's this um, political. Uh, I don't know if he's a dictator, really, but I think he's the president of Turkey, Erdogan. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, there's a lot of things that go on there that I, I think, you know, one might want to be concerned about. Uh, but what I would mention is if you read today, Turkey has banned uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. And I didn't read a lot about it, but what I did see were a couple of people who claimed to be crypto experts, and they were saying, well, you know, they're just going to throw a lot of money at it, and they're not going to be able to accomplish anything. And what, what they're going to do, the, the government over there is, they'll find eight people who they think are trading cryptocurrencies, and they'll drag them out into the square, and they'll chop their right hand off. Mm-hmm. And that'll be the end of it. And that'll be the end of the cryptocurrency trading. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the thing people don't get. There's this French term that when you hear it, something bad has happened. It's called force majeure. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm fluent in many languages, mm-hmm. French mm-hmm. being one of them. Um, that's something they use in legal contracts. It's sort of the uh, 
common uh, translation would be act of God. Okay, yeah. So if you have a contract and there is a force majeure incident, that would negate the contract. Okay. Or, you know, when a government drags you out of your home and cuts your yeah. hand off, yeah. you, that's a personal force majeure. So. <laughs> Um, anyway, the beat goes on 61,500 and I stopped looking by the way, that $10, I don't know Mm -hmm. what it's worth. Good. Okay. Good. Basically I'm never, I'm never selling it because I'm never ticking that box on my tax return that says you traded a cryptocurrency. Oh, that's nice. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. No foreign bank accounts, no cryptocurrency. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Check the box and that that's put, it's put to bed. Yeah. 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 It's great. Um, um, all right. Well, yeah, I just wanted to ask you about the Madoff stuff because it was in the news. Um, and I, and I, I figured that you had, uh, a good, uh, a good perspective of that, but, um, yeah, I've been around for most of the, uh, I'll even be able to, in, in five years, we'll be able to be doing this and I'll talk about the modern day South Sea bubble. (laughs) You know, uh, there's some wacko stuff going on. I mean, obviously that's an understatement. So we we don't have enough time. In, in an hour long show to go through it, you have to prioritize it and say, where do we start? Yeah. What else? What else you got? What else well, you got? So, um, my, when I was growing up, my father had a couple nice watches. And so he had a, uh, he had a Patek Philippe, he had a Vacheron Constantine and he had a Rolex and, uh, he died when he was, uh, relatively young. He was 46. And, Back then, uh, that was, so. let's say, 1979 he died. I just turned 19. And um, for whatever reason, probably because I really looked up to my dad, I, I really coveted that paddock Philippe. So my mother, kind of in a depressed state, uh, a couple of weeks after my father died, took all of the jewelry, the gold jewelry, this or that, including the watches, and she sold them. Um, you know, the gold was like 800 bucks an ounce. Yeah. And stuff like that. And, and I was heartbroken because I really, I really wanted that, that watch. Um, so anyway, once I sort of got established, um, I bought myself a paddock fully, to the best of my recollection, the same kind he had, which I yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, next thing leads to another, and I got, you know, a half dozen of them. And, and I took a long hiatus. But lately, I've fancied the Paddock Philippe. They make these stainless steel ones from time to time. And I saw just a gorgeous one about three or four months ago, and I called up the local dealer. And I said, hey, look, I know you, they're hard to get. Can you get me one? He says, they're impossible to get. I said, what do you mean? He said, we have to apply. They want to know who's buying it. They want to know your lineage. Because mm-hmm. the, the, the list price is about half of where they trade in the secondary market. So wow. they don't okay, want some. Yeah. Okay. So I said, well, look, in the odd chance, you can get one. I'd love one. So he gets he gets me one. He, he said, it's the only one they're making this year, and it's yours. So uh, today I, I drove over there. The only one they're making this year. The only one of this model that they're making. This guy's name isn't Terry Betteridge, is it? I, we, you know, we don't um, we don't plug. Got it. 
Oh, no, that's fine. We don't plug. Um, anyway, uh, I went over to look at it today because um, I'm having it sent out to Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> FedEx next day? <laughs> yeah, but not till I'm there. So I got right, right, right. But I wanted to go in and thank the fellow in person because it was a, it was a gracious mm-hmm, act mm-hmm. on their part, and I didn't want to be one of these – Oh yeah, it's great. Send me a bill. Mm-hmm. Click right. Mm-hmm. So I spent like half an hour with the, with this person mm-hmm. chatting comfortably with masks off. Wow, which was, which was it felt like I was cheating on my wife. It was great. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but he said to me, and this is what's crazy. Not that long ago, they had like a three day Paddock Philippe showing where they would like have an evening or something where people could come. And yeah, look yeah, yeah, yeah. In three days, they sold 79 watches. Come on. At an average price, wait for it, of $50,000. Yeah. That's like $4 million worth of watches. In three, in three nights? Yeah. Yeah. So basically what's happening is everything you read in history, and there's, I'm not touching the, the the, the goddamn keyboard, but I was just reading this thing about Maynard Keynes. And in one of his early treatises, he talks about how governments can, you know, destroy the, the society and, and separate out the classes because when you have this massive inflation, there are many people who uh, come out handsomely. You know, uh, anyone who's asset rich is going to do very well. Anyone who's, uh, you know, who doesn't have any money, the the cost of their daily lives is going to go up. And so what what's happening is this is just statement of the obvious. Real estate prices are going up, right? Yeah. Okay. Stock prices are going up. Um, I found out apparently the used aircraft market. Commercial, uh, the uh, used, um, yeah, private can't aviation, touch it, right? Everything's can't. going through the roof, and 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 you know, poor people and middle class people don't have those things. Yeah. So this this wealth disparity is getting worse and worse and worse, and so let's go in and loop into the kind of the concepts of luck, and then the the, the gift of fear, right? Because I. I one of the things I really wanted to do uh, is kind of get across some of the, th- the things I've learned over the last several years by being able to read more than I did when I was pretty active. So I, mm-hmm. I, I um, and I still go through long periods now like this where, you know, I read all these research reports and they're, you know, three to eight pages, right? You know, or, or seven to 14, if you count the disclaimers at the end, mm-hmm. but um so I end up developing sometimes a very short attention span. But more frequently now, I can read a book, and uh, it has to be good. So, f- for instance, I started reading this uh, book by Henry Kaufman about uh, 1982 when he called the turn in interest rates. I, I, it's horrible. You know, just no good. Had a <laughs> couldn't problem. force, you couldn't slog no. through it. Yep. Uh, and there was a biography about Maynard Keynes that I, I read 50 pages, maybe 100 pages. Like, this is just terrible. Yeah, putting you to sleep. Right. No good. 
Yep. But from time to time, as you know, I, I come across, I don't know if you want to call them life-changing, but but books that really mean something to me. And uh, the one that I keep wanting to bring up is this one called uh, The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker. Is it DeBecker or DeDecker? I'm not sure. Yeah, okay. Well, But Gift of Fear is the title. Yes. Yep. And I, I came to it in a really bizarre way because I was reading like my umpteenth behavioral economics book and it was from an MIT guy and it, it was written exactly like you would think it was written by a guy from MIT and I couldn't get through it. Yep. But there was some quote in there and he references Gavin the Becker book. And I'm like, Oh, well I've never heard of that thing. So I, I go to Amazon and I, you know, I put the thing in and it was written in 1997 and, and I mean, this is like 18 months ago, two years ago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, so I, I buy it in hard copy. It's like $3 plus $3 shipping, right? So it's six bucks. And, um, okay, well, I start reading it. And I read the first 10 pages, and I can't put the thing down. In fact, um, a, a guy I do business with I was talking to the other day, and I mentioned you got to read this book. And he's like, ah, you know, I've got so many books, this or that. I said, okay, well, just make a note of it. And he sent me uh, a, a, a screenshot. He said, first sitting, I read 50 pages of this. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you re read the first 10 pages and you're not hooked, throw it away. Mm -hmm. But, okay, so why is this book so important to me? Um so let's say I read it when I was 58. First of all, it was finally something that gave me some clarity into the mind of a woman. And seeing the world through what it must be like for a woman, it just, it was a whole new take on things. Just the anxiety you feel walking down the street, the what happens if you, you know, got to go into the parking garage at eight o'clock at night by yourself. Or, um, I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But it, it, it was part and parcel of this thing I've said a million times to you, which is, you know, turn the map around. Mm -hmm. It's just, that's one of those things that I've come to really try and get my arms around is always think about how does this look from the other side. Um, so that's the first thing I got out of the book. The, 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 the most important thing I think the book tries to tell you is it gives you a understanding that when you have a funny feeling about something, that maybe there's a reason for it. Maybe you're not being paranoid you know, maybe it's your subconscious starting to put things together um, that uh, you can't kind of get to coalesce in your mind. It's just instinctive. Yeah, sixth sense, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I just, I don't have like the cliff notes on the thing, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, that's one of those books that to me was a bit, of an eye opener, just very similar in broadening how I think about things to, to also that book by um, Will Durant, Will and Ariel Durant, The Lessons of History. 
Now, this book is like 104 pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With like a little chapter on each, the Columbus's guys going to no, that's, South. That's great moments in history. Okay, okay, okay. This okay. is uh, lessons of history about how economies work and how okay. societies work. And But the, in the introduction, he writes something like, only a fool would try and condense 5,000 years of human history into 100 pages. We proceed. Yeah, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Um, so the, the, um, I can, as far as we're concerned, I can cut to that book in, in one sentence, which is, it says, if, if history shows us anything is that life is inflationary. Mm. So, um, you know, I've struggled between Lacey Hunt and the M2 growth stuff, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you look at the Lacey Hunt paper? Uh, I did. It was a little, it was a, a little, little, a little deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. There was a lot of technical jargon. I mean, that is real economist. That's the plumbing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. I, I applaud you for trying. Thank, thank but that's you. why I ask you. Like after I read that, I say to you, how do like how do what how do I see this in real life? All right. So he's got that on paper, and I can read that. And I look up from reading it on Main Street, and I see okay, gas was up, milk is up, lumber was up, real estate's up. Um, yeah. But then they say, no, that's transitory and that's just for now. And then, you know, but yeah. It, it all comes down to uh, this one thing, I think, which they call the velocity of money. Mm-hmm. And that's basically how many times does a dollar turn over in the economy. So put simply, if you come into a million bucks and you stick it in your checking account, okay, and it's just gonna, and it just sits there. Excuse my language, but it don't do nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you take half a million bucks and buy a uh, an electric Porsche and a Patek Philippe watch, and uh, you know, mm-hmm. yada yada yada, something ceramic for yeah, your bike. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the new bike just has ceramic bottom bearings. Of course, of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Because they saved you two watts. Right. Two watts, two grams. Hey. Did I tell you I rode with a uh, retired pro mountain biker in uh, no. Scottsdale? Yeah. The, the fellow who lives next door to me in Scottsdale, his son uh, rode in, at university, and he was a professional mountain biker. Ah. So we went out riding, and um, I kept up for a while. But then we hit a climb, and uh, it's like wily coyote. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Did he take it easy on you? Did he have the the courtesy? Um, so he did. This is the this is the part I love. He says, "Oh, it's just kind of endurance miles with a couple of uh, <laughs> a couple of um, efforts." Yeah, a couple I, efforts. A couple classic. Efforts. And then I checked the Strava, and he had like a PR on one section. Yeah, yeah. The there's your effort. The thing yeah. he's been riding since he was three. Mm-hmm. Right? A thousand efforts, and he PR'd it with you that day. Yeah, exactly. Good exactly. times. Exactly. A tale as old as time with bicycles. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Um. All right. Let's get me back to fear <laughs> and luck. Get me back to the to the fear. Um. The gift of fear, okay, is is the title, right? The yeah, gift so of the fear. Po- the point is, fear can be used as a tool, right? Yeah. So, 
uh, in the book, he gives some examples, mostly women, where something went happened and they were tricked into putting their guard down, even though they knew something didn't seem right. And um, I think he goes on uh, to kind of explain how that can be applied to other parts of your life and, and things. Um, as far as the trading stuff goes, you know, up until, uh, well, up until I handed the day-to-day trading off to someone else, I would buy and sell the securities in the portfolio, and there would be a lot of back and forth and stuff. And and you could get a – keeping in mind, I'd stared at stock tickers since I was 10 years old, right? Mm-hmm. You, you can get an innate feeling for certain things. Um, I mean, you, you deal with, with clients, right? And mm-hmm. whatever your product is is your product, but let's call it the widgets, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you you probably get accustomed to the signs, the nonverbal cues from people. I'm ask, I'm telling you, but I really should be asking you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Within the first within the first exchange, the first couple sentences, I can tell where it's going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, once you start to understand that that's part and parcel of everyday life, right? That, that's one of the things, like, which is so terrible with these poor kids today with the texting and the emailing, right? Because there's absolutely no nuance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In fact, the first podcast I ever did uh, was with Kevin Muir, and I did it on my iPhone. And it was brutal because I was talking, and I was talking into an iPhone. I couldn't see anything. And, yeah. And so now, like, I look at you, and, um, you know, I... It's a conversation, right? Right, right, exactly. Uh, so you send somebody an email, and uh, let's say they did something. You go, nice job. And maybe they're thinking you're being sarcastic. Yep, yep. Well, you can't get the tone. They, you yep. can't get the tone, right? And so all of a sudden, it's to turn the map around. You're reading the email or the text um by uh, how you're thinking, you're not necessarily seeing it from mm-hmm. the point of view of the sender. Um, the dick pics, you know, I don't have an explanation <laughs> for those. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is good, nor should you. Um. <laughs> I, had some, I saw this, some comedian, maybe I talked about this. There was some comedian he was talking about. Could you imagine when we were kids, we had those Polaroid cameras. And you take a picture and it'd be... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine you had to shake it to develop it. it. Imagine being uh, like the number six in Lower Manhattan, and you walk up and go here. Yeah, (laughs) what's this? Oh, I thought you were interested in this. Yeah, why do you think I'd want that? Yeah. Um, Okay, so the the the, uh, then you wonder why women are terrified. (sighs) It's very complicated. Yeah. It's very complicated. The other thing I wanted to mention is luck. And mm-hmm. I, I'm i not really sure why I felt like I wanted to talk about it, but it's our show. And mm-hmm. uh, and then um, anyway, uh, as I've said many times, I've been really fortunate to have had the career I did and the opportunities. And uh I'll say from time to time that if I were 21 today, 
I wouldn't have those opportunities because of the way the financial markets have changed. Um, so when I was in graduate school, I was getting a master's in accounting. I'd already passed a CPA. And I wanted to trade. And I wanted to trade for Goldman Sachs. So uh, I got an interview with Goldman Sachs, and I got an interview with Continental Bank in Chicago. Figured Goldman was going to take me, but just in the odd chance that they didn't, I better have a, a, a backup plan, so Continental Bank, because I know they'll give me a job, right? So uh, the Goldman thing doesn't go anywhere. And then I get rejected from Continental Bank, which stunned me because, mm-hmm. you know, I I was very well uh, – I was very competent in terms of summer experience back when that wasn't the norm. And I thought my interviews went well. I was very surprised. So I'm kind of like in the January beginning of the second semester and I got to get a job or something. Right. And so I applied a bunch of accounting firms and I get a couple of offers and I'm like, all right, well, here comes being an accountant. So, uh, for whatever reason, I was home for a week or two. Maybe it was spring break, I don't know, something like that. And I had part-time job at the Chicago Board of Trade. So I'd get up at 4.30 or 5 or 5.30, whatever it is. I'd take the 6 o'clock train. I'd get into uh, Jackson, LaSalle and Jackson at uh, 6. Walk down to the Board of Trade and market opened at 7 or 8, whatever it was. And I, I loved that, um, but it didn't pay anything, you know, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. It, it paid for working for the spring break, but it wasn't. Okay. So uh, oddly enough, one day I'm on the train going to work and I see the, like the head guy from Continental Bank on the train and I recognize the guy. And uh, I don't know what possessed me, but I got up and I walked over and I sat in the seat next to the guy. And I introduced myself, and he said, I remember you. And I I said, you know, frankly, I'm shocked you guys didn't hire me. Now, I don't know where that came from. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe now you could see me saying it, but back then that wasn't how it would have gone. Right, right. He said, look, uh, we wanted to hire you. The bank had a hiring freeze. He said, you know, Call me at this number later today. I'll have an offer for you. And I got a job at Continental Bank in the bond department in the bond training program. And uh, I actually got the highest starting salary of anybody coming out of graduate school from University of Illinois. And um, it was just because of the luck of sitting next to this fellow. Okay, but the the luck didn't stop there. So um, it's 1983, Continental Bank. I'm finished the training program, and I get assigned to the government bond desk, which is where I wanted to be. And the bank had a lending catastrophe and basically had to get, it was like one of the very first big bank bailouts. So all of a sudden, the senior traders all scatter because they know the bank ain't going to be paying bonuses. So I go from being a trainee to the long bond trader at Continental Bank 
you know, so I'm 24 years old and I'm a long bond trader at a primary dealer in U.S. government securities. That was like the elf yeah. male, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But as they say in that commercial three in the morning, but wait, there's more. Right, right, right. The guy who had been the head trader at Continental Bank went over to First National Bank of Chicago. And I, he was had been mentoring me. And I'm like, you know, so-and-so, I, you got to give me a job. You know, I'm probably going to get laid off. He's like, look, I, I, I can't hire you here because it's just the bad blood. But, yeah. but there's this guy I know in New York. His name is Jack Freeman. And he runs a firm called Aubrey G. Lanston and Company. And uh, they have been told by the Fed they need to increase their volume with clients. So they want to bring in a long bond trader. But they want a long bond trader who they can teach the business to. Wow. So anyway. They didn't want an old guy who was set in his ways. They wanted a greenhorn who they could mold. Yes. So all of a sudden, I'm 24. I'm the long bond trader at arguably the most, or if not the most, one of the most prestigious treasury bond houses on Wall Street. And so within a couple of weeks, I'm talking to Peter Sternlight from the Fed and um, the guys who run Salomon Brothers. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we're not equals. Mm-hmm. Why would we be? But, but I'm... But you were in the room. I'm you were the, there. I'm, I'm in the room. I was in the room for major bond auctions. I'm, I mean, I, I just the, the wealth of things. And, and, yeah. and so basically... You know, I, uh, at that point, I kind of, you know, ca- caught my stride. Yeah. And they got put, you know, you know, like that, the Wally Pip. <laughs> You're really dating yourself. This week. <laughs> well, that was even before me. Wally Pip. <laughs> all right. Let me, I think, cause I think, all right. So I think what he was like the backup and he got the job cause somebody got hurt no, and then he the kept other, the job the other way around. It was okay. Blair, right. Wally Pip got hurt. Okay. And Lou Gehrig. Okay. Got, and then Lou Gehrig up until, you know, a while ago, mm-hmm, mo- mm-hmm. most consecutive games played. Ah, uh, okay. So. All right. So I, I'll thank Mike and the Mad Dog and the 25 years I spent listening to them. Okay, they, yeah. they're, they're That's how I understand okay. the Wally Pip reference. There you so, go. Thank you. So that was why I wanted to talk about luck, right? Because um, Wall Street doesn't hire from University of Illinois. Um, I don't know. Yeah, um, a conversation on the train. Yeah. Yeah, like if you had, you know, second-guessed yourself and not pulled the trigger on that. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, look, I, I'm arrogant at this point enough to say I'm a talented guy. I would have figured something out. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I, you know, who knows? But um, you just never underestimate. Now, th- I do have a little issue with what I've seen. So I've, I may have mentioned this to you. Every morning I turn on the Bloomberg, there's a quote. Mm-hmm. And some of them are pretty good. And the other day, for the second time, I saw a quote. It said, luck is where preparation meets opportunity. And it's attributed to Oprah Winfrey. 
No fucking way. <laughs> you don't think so? You don't think so? You don't think she's got the trademark on that? That's one of her jewels? I read it like 40 years ago, and it was attributed to Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi. I was going to say, that sounds like a Lombardi quote, okay? Yeah. Yeah. But Thanks. It, Bloomberg, yeah. you should, yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, you know my quote, which is, if you can't feed the world, feed one person, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's the same idea. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Let's, I can make shit up as well as the next right. guy. Well, that's why we like our show. If we can help one person, it's like we help them all. That's the idea, you know? Yes. Um, yes. It's been so, fun. This is, by the way, I, I, I can't thank you enough for, you know, being executive producer and getting this whole thing started because I – I, I honest to God look forward to chatting with you. And um, I, I've been getting some positive feedback, which is, which, Frightening. At, which at my right. age, you know, yeah. is, is nice. That's good. Between your, your light machine that gives you the, uh, what's the light machine that you swear by that, that, that brightens up your day? Oh, the happy light? Yeah, you got the happy light and some positive reviews on the podcast. Oh, that that gets you through until like three o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> by, by the way, um, so we got home yesterday in the rain, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Today, basically, <sighs> basically, I didn't do anything. I mean, I farted around looking mm-hmm. at the market. I was, mm-hmm. you know, um, I read China's buying gold. Apparently. Oh, please, please. Um, but I noticed, like, I, I wasn't all that, I wasn't all that. Upbeat, and I look outside, and it's like stinking gray skies. It's like, yeah. you know what? If I had just been doing the same thing in Arizona, this blue sky would be my friend. Mm-hmm. Eighty-two degrees and sunshine. Yeah, I, I take fifty degrees in sunshine. I take oh, thirty. I, I take thirty-two degrees in in some corduroy. You kidding me? Yeah. No, I. It's it's. <sighs> yeah. Well, are you working tomorrow? Or are you riding? I'm working in the morning. I am good. Yep. I've uh, I think I've given up cycling until until it becomes 75 degrees and and I have some free time. But for now, work and the baby has consumed yeah. all my time, and I feel like a douche coming home and strapping on spandex and hitting the road while the baby's eating dinner. So they're, the, they're, the bike the bike can wait, you know. The, the bike the bike can wait, and you know yeah, what? I think, it'll it'll. I told you I did my best riding when I was. 50. Yeah. I wasn't riding when I was 30. (laughs) Right, right. Exactly. Well, no, I always think of a good quote that you had to a, to a guy that was complaining. Oh yeah. He was, he was complaining about maybe central park races being early or hours or something. And you said to him, and I think you commented it publicly on Strava. Strava. I think you said, do you want a bunch of cycling trophies or a big bank account? (laughs) (laughs) That that that's right. Yeah, yeah, and that was the end of that discussion. Um, yeah, he was working at a, 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 a quasi investment bank. And mm-hmm. bitch about, ah, you know, I would have done this, but I had to do this project. Yes. I'm like, hey, shut up. Yep, yep. Pick one. Yep. Um, what else? What else? What else? Did, what else did you have this week? It was like I said last week. It was a quiet week. Nothing but so, in the market. What, what the I, market's nice and stable, other than the insanity that we discussed. Um. It's, right, we're it's just a, clicking, clicking along another week off the calendar. Right, it's a battle. You saw um, J.P. Morgan issued twenty billion dollars worth of debt, to, biggest ever, right? Uh, until I think I saw this evening, Bank America is coming with wow. a larger tranche. 
Uh, uh. Morgan Stanley announced they actually had a $900 million loss based on... Uh, I saw that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess people are upset because they waited till the quarterly earnings report. Uh, you know, and I don't have an opinion about that. But uh, it's just it's just pretty strange. And uh, like I've given up sort of forecasting doom and gloom yeah. because yeah. you you it's a mugs game. But you, yep. you hear those quotes about you know um, Baron Rothschild saying you know. He always bought too soon and sold too soon. No, you know, it's like yeah, you know, you you can't wait for the mm-hmm. the last ten percent. You try and catch the catch the middle, but I, geez, I I just don't know. You, you look at all of this money getting sloshed around, and I come back to what I said to you last week, which is the economic statistics look horrible and. People have become inured to how bad they are, um, but they're they're terrible. You have millions of people still collecting unemployment. Yep. Um, so much so, it's it's causing this these bifurcation in um, industries because they're having trouble getting people. You know, the, I, ne- pe- I person I need three people tonight. By uh, on Monday, if I I need three people that I would hire on Monday, and we cannot find people to work. Yeah. So why is it's that? Tell impossible. Me. Tell me why. They they number one, they've already been hired for more money by somebody else immediately and they can take it's a it's a workers market. If they have a job, if they have any skill, they can get hired immediately. Um and then number two is certain people aren't going back to work because they're getting money from the federal government and the state of New York, so they're getting paid $805 to not work with no end in sight. So for them to come in and make anything even close to that, it's not worth it. So yeah, the labor the labor is, and I see now hiring signs everywhere, huh. everywhere. I, I you talk to a restaurant, they can't get people in the back of house. You go to a hotel, they can't get housekeeping. Anything that's low wage or anything like that, the people will not come to work. Yeah, Oy. yeah, that's just that's just what I see on on a daily basis. You know, Oy. yeah. Are you um? Would you pay me off the books? Yeah, absolutely. What do I got to do? 25 bucks cash. Really? Yeah, and you can work 60 hours a week if you want. Fuck. Yeah, and then next <laughs> year, don't, next don't, year don't you can get Cheryl. some. <laughs> don't tell Cheryl. Yeah, 25 bucks cash. You don't need to know how to do anything. Really? Yeah, we need. Yeah, you're a laborer. For a laborer, you get 25 bucks an hour cash. Um, and yeah, you, maybe you have some funny tax ID number and you get a check in the future. But no, there's how many calories you burn an hour? Oh, you're a thousand easily. Oh, come on. Oh yeah, you're you're working. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're working. This is this is work. Yeah. yeah you want to be a supervisor? You you know you got to put a white hard hat on and um. I got a hard you gotta hat. Learn, you got to learn to speak Spanish. Um. <laughs> Por favor. <laughs> See, <si>, Hefe. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, but no, no, not even kidding. We cannot find people to work. Yeah. yeah. And that's and you talk to anyone else, any other contractor, um, or small business owner, and empl- employees are hard to find. Yeah, I think that's going around. So yeah, people would rather uh take the money or maybe they're doing both i mean so maybe yeah. the guy's taking the 800 bucks from the government and he's getting the 25 bucks in cash mm-hmm. right 
something yeah. like that. That would be fraud, though. I wouldn't do that. Oh no, nobody in nobody in the near in America would do that. No, um, Amy's got a guy that plays video games online. And he gets paid to do that. He he puts a headset on like you, plays video games, and talks about what he's doing, and he makes thousands of dollars a week. By, I'm not kidding. By ads or no. No, he has like subscribers. People like uh, people subscribe to his channel. He gets paid from YouTube. So I'm he, not going to plug the no, name. No, I refuse no, to do I, it. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> so it's sort of like this is how you play yeah. Grand Theft Auto 4. Precisely. I'm going to play Grand Theft Auto 5 tonight. You guys are going to watch. I'm going to tell you what you what I think. And uh, yeah, it's two dollars. You know, give me two dollars or something like that. Yeah, it's frightening. Yeah, it's a whole new world, Morris. I don't, you know, it used to be so much easier. You know, you'd get a part-time job after school, you know, you'd... Summer um, lifeguard, yeah. Yeah, something, you'd go to the the liquor yep. store and have a fake ID and get some mm-hmm. beer and, yep. you know. Yeah, it was a different time. No, um, no we've, we've screwed this up pretty good. I don't even want to ask how you fix it because... Um, Oh, I, really I, I know how you fix it. it. First is you need political will. Then you 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 have to ration. Yeah. How do you get the political will? Well, you know, I think you're starting to move in that direction a little bit because you've got the uh, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Bernie Sanders people I think the that woman AOC. I, I can't mm-hmm. say her name. I, I just is awful. Um, I don't think she's getting a lot of traction because people understand she's kind of a whack job. Mm-hmm. But uh, Kamala Harris, mm-hmm. I think, is pretty left. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, the first round, they're going after the low hanging fruit. Right, they're going to gently, or not so gently, raise taxes uh, and do things like um, capital gains. Mm-hmm. Maybe you know, if they get the carried interest thing, they'll yep. definitely drop the level on estate taxes. Um, I do really think that if the meme I threw out there last week uh, about the um, Windfall profits tax ever comes mm-hmm. to fruition. I mean, if that, if that starts to gain some traction, because you you can definitely make an argument that if it weren't for the pandemic, Amazon and a couple other of these websites or, or you know businesses would not have had the incredible increase in value, and so. There's a situation. So let's take a look at two guys. You've got uh, Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates. Okay. Let's let's take the let's forget Elon Musk and some of these other guys for a minute. But two people that have definitely participated in a huge increase in wealth because of the pandemic. So their wealth has gone up because their stock price has gone up. If they want money to spend, they don't sell the stock. They borrow against the stock. 
and then they spend the money. And then when they die, the value of the stock gets stepped up, so they never paid tax on that gain. And they pay the loan back. And then they paid the estate taxes. But that whole amount of money and the increase in the value of their, their stock never gets taxed. And then they, they can live on it. And it's not entirely dissimilar to like real estate developers. You know, you hear about the guys that go broke. Well, what happens is they, they, uh, they I, I hate pulling numbers out of the air, but let's see if I can do this right. They put up 10 million, they borrow 40 million, they build a building for, cost them 50 million bucks to build it. Now it's worth 80 because it's built. So they go to the bank and they borrow 70. Mm-hmm. They, you know, pay the 40 back to the bank. Now they have no, you know, to the, the construction loans paid off and they put in 10 and they get back 20 or 30 or whatever the difference is, right? So they're, they've cashed out more than they put in, right? Mm-hmm. And that works because yeah. as long as the building keeps cash flow and they never have to pay tax on that profit. Mm-hmm. So there are some of these things where there's extraordinary wealth that doesn't get taxed. Um, the real estate stuff is a little tougher. They've got a pretty good um, lobby in Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, you know, they they play the, you know, 90% of the people affected are small businessmen and stuff like that. But it's it's less compelling when you deal with the big guys. And, you know, it's funny, even uh, Gates was made some comment about uh, when they were talking about the taxes and this thing was like, well, you know, now it's starting to get on my radar, basically. Yeah. Um, so it seems to me if you if you were borrowing against appreciated stock for consumption, then it should be treated as income because mm-hmm. to me it's the same as income. Uh, is that too complicated a concept for people? I, I don't think it's that. I mean, I, I could explain it again to somebody slowly if they needed to understand it, but I don't think it's that tough. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's part of how it gets fixed. I read the other day that they think a trillion dollars goes missing every year because people don't declare income. So it's a trillion dollars in income to the United States. Yeah. Ta- taxing. Ta- yeah, I taxes. believe it. Uh, and if they admit that number, don't you think it's 50% more than what they ballpark? It, and I, I, I never know what these guys yeah, are, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you get the whole, uh, there's no transaction coins tax on the crypto stuff. Yeah. I don't know what they're going to do with that. Uh, so there's there's things you can do, but at some point there needs to be, there needs to be some, some rationing. And, uh, and I think that would... I think that would fix it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, right now we're not going in that direction. It's frightening. No, it really is. Um, what, are you paying th- what are you paying attention to this coming week? Now that you're back here, do you have a different feel that you're back here? Uh, uh, it's tough to say. You know, I spent an hour yesterday um, uh Going through the mail, we forgot to pay our real estate taxes in Greenwich. So Cheryl's pulling her hair out because we got charged interest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, you know, it's funny. I don't see much on the radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, 
there's enough going on that something could snap out of the blue. I, I'm not predicting mm-hmm. it or whatever, but um, you know, I, I get this book. Uh, I get it once a year. It's like 250 bucks. Um, what's the name of the thing? It's written by a guy named Robert, Robert, Roger Ibbotson. It's just like a maroon-colored book. It's called uh, People Call It Ibbotson. It's basically a bunch of different historical analyses of stock markets. And you know how we talk about the long run and how mm-hmm. I think, okay. So I went and I looked, and they've got an w- interesting way of looking at the data. So you can pick a, a beginning year, and you can pick an ending year, and it will tell you for that, those beginning and ending, what the internal rate of return is, the compound rate of return is on your investments. And I'm always trying to look and see, you know, is there any time you really didn't do that well? Well, clearly, you know, if you bought it in 1929 and sold it in 1933, it probably didn't work out so good for you, right? But in in, in broader periods, and we like to talk about 20 years, right? Mm-hmm. So if you bought the stock market in the year 2000, and you held it to 2020 last year, I think you earned a 6.6% compound rate of return for 20 years. Mm-hmm. But after 10 years, you had made nothing. So right. there was a 10-year period where you didn't mm-hmm. make any money. Yep. Um, there's so many things I'm looking at, which take a look at, at uh, standard metrics and argue that even if the stock market doesn't go down from here, the returns for the next few years should be fairly muted. It just it just doesn't seem to work that way. Markets don't seem to go sideways for long periods of time. I mean, interest rates do because the, the government sets mm-hmm. a good portion of those. Um, I don't know. I, I just feel like uh, we've reached uh, – What's that thing from Tropic Thunder? We've gone full retard, mm-hmm. and, and you yep. never go full retard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where we are. That's where we are. So stay tuned, huh? <sighs> yeah, it's uh, it's calm and quiet. I, the, the, is, is that okay? Is it okay that it's calm and quiet? <laughs> it's like one of those old, old cheesy war movies. It's quiet. <laughs> It's yeah. a little too quiet. Yeah, it's a little too quiet, you know? Um, I, hey, it's fine with me. Um, my 13 stocks are doing fantastic. There you go. <laughs> All right, buddy. It's good to see you. I appreciate that. your week. Oh, uh, yeah. I appreciate your time as usual, and uh, I'll see you next weekend. Look forward to it. Take care. All right, pal. Cheers.